0: Hello everyone and Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays depending on what you're celebrating. There are so many different celebrations going on right now. I mean Christmas might be the most obvious one, at least here in the UK. Uh, But yeah, there are a lot of different celebrations, and a lot of these celebrations involve a lot of food. So although this is a bit of a Christmas episode, just because that's kind of what's going on around me right now, I want to add that this applies to any kind of holiday or situation where there is a lot of food and a lot of commentary around food. So even it could be Thanksgiving, even though that's already been, or any kind of religious holiday that is involved, involved around food. So you can actually just replace Christmas with any kind of holiday-involving food of your choice. Okay, so let's get into it. So Christmas actually tends to be a very difficult time for a lot of people with eating disorders. Or the exact opposite. And of course for some people it's neither, it's just like, yeah, whatever. This episode is predominantly for those who find Christmas a little bit difficult and find it quite triggering because yes there is a little bit of an uptick in diet talk especially with the new year coming you know new year new me and gyms filling up and everyone having new new year's resolution to lose weight not everyone but your eating disorder is going to make it seem like everyone is just running to the gym to run the treadmill right eating disorder bias again not saying that it's not a theme Overall, of course it is, of course it is. But eating disorder will notice it more (laughs) than people without eating disorders, okay? So in this episode, I'm gonna hopefully calm some people down for Christmas and also just talk a bit about how to handle this triggering commentary and this diety focus from family members or from the media. I'm also gonna talk a bit about how Christmas can actually be a time to... You know strengthen your recovery it can be a good thing recovery wise and i want to start with this because i did mention that for some people christmas is not a difficult time at all it actually is quite a freeing time recovery wise and this is because christmas means a break in routines right usually you'll maybe have some time off I mean, not everyone will, but a lot of people have some time off at least and there will be a change in routines, right? And this can, for some people, make it a lot easier to implement new challenges and different foods. And of course, also uh, the foods will change around Christmas often, but not always. So instead of your usually prepared foods, you might be served something some Christmas food by a family member. And for some people, this can make it a lot easier to challenge themselves. They might find that the eating disorder kind of lets go a little bit around Christmas. And then you have the opposite, the people who experience that their eating disorder is just kicking and screaming during Christmas. And a big reason for this is because there tends to be a lot of diet talk or food shaming around the table. So for instance, you're eating with people and they will say things such as, oh, I'm being so naughty for having another serving of dessert, or, oh, well, I need to go straight to the gym tomorrow. These kind of comments. And I want to touch upon these comments a little bit, right? Because when you have an eating disorder, you tend to take these comments very seriously. But what I want to remind you about is that dieting talk in today's society, unfortunately, has been a bit like talking about the weather. It has become a small talk and it's become a socially acceptable form of self-deprecation. As social human beings, self-deprecation is a very common thing in communication. It is a way to, you know, soften up, show that we don't take ourselves that seriously. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I for sure can be self-deprecating at times, sometimes just for fun. But unfortunately, due to living in die culture and a society that's quite fatphobic, commentaries such as, you know, shaming oneself for having more food or for gaining weight has become a very common way to self-deprecate. So essentially, people are trying to be relatable, and trying to be, you know, funny when they're seeing these things. Of course, it's not very funny or relatable if you're sitting there with an eating disorder screaming in the back of your head. But people don't know this. They do not know. Oh my God, people are very, very ignorant about what triggers people with eating disorders. With peace and love. With peace and love. They just don't get it because they think, well, I'm deprecating myself, I'm being self-deprecating, I'm making fun of my own weight, of my own eating, why would that trigger someone else with an eating disorder? And this is just time and time again what people around eating, people around people eating disorders don't get, you know? When you are body shaming yourself around someone with an eating disorder, you are actually telling that person indirectly, weight gain is bad. You are shaming yourself for eating, quote unquote, a lot around someone with an eating disorder, The messaging is, eating a lot is bad, it's shameful, it's sinful, but people don't get this. Hence why I am doing this episode. And first of all, I just want to give you a big hug because I know how frustrating this is. If you are forced to sit around the dinner table with family members or friends or whatsoever making these comments, I know it's frustrating. You are allowed to be frustrated. And what I would encourage you to do, if you feel comfortable with it, communicate it. Communicate that that for you is very unhelpful. You can communicate it beforehand. You could communicate it in the moment. I would encourage you to be mindful of how you communicate it. Not to protect the other person's feelings, but to protect your own feelings. Because if you get very defensive, they get defensive and they might end up with a very triggering debate that you'd rather not have. But saying something like, hey, um, I'm working on healing my relationship with food and body, so I kind of prefer not to talk about these things because it can be a little bit triggering for me. Could we maybe talk about something else? Most people will react quite well to that. And if not, that's not really a nice person, to be honest. Or you could say something like, oh, when you are shaming yourself from for eating a lot, that reinforced my fear of eating more because it makes me see food as bad. Or, or when you are shaming yourself for your weight gain, it's the underlying message that I interpret because of my eating disorder is that weight gain is bad. And make sure to focus on, you know, saying that this is how you feel because of your issues rather than, you know, getting accusatory. Even though that can be quite tempting. Like, oh my god, you're so fatphobic, phobic, right? But if you try to instead make it about yourself and your feelings, people might be a bit more gentle right because if you take the more political approach like that is fat phobic you might end up in a debate (laughs) right Uh, so making it about your feelings could be a helpful tool here but of course if you want to have conversations with your family about issues such as fat phobia and diet culture that's wonderful go for it right but to protect yourself from harmful commentary actually admitting that this is harmful for you can you know make people less likely to actually start making these comments because if they see it as some kind of intellectual debate you know it's just another political topic that we're going to discuss over the dinner table people are not going to be so gentle going to be quite offensive and i also want to remind you that if these debates come up whether that is about you know diet culture or some kind of political debate you are allowed to disengage right you're not obligated to sit there and defend, and you know, especially not if the topic is literally your right to exist. I am all for a good political debate, I love it, but if the political debate is, should I be allowed to exist as, you know, a queer woman, right? <laughs> I mean, if, if, if one person wants me not to exist, like how am I gonna have a productive conversation about with that, right? So just be mindful of the people looking to learn and looking to actually challenge your own view or the people who are just debating for sport, right? And if someone is actually open to learning more or if they just are so locked in their belief and that their belief actually prevents someone else from existing in peace, right? You can talk about diet culture all you want, but if someone is just like, screw fat people, they shouldn't exist, you know, like, are you going to get anywhere with them? Are you going to get anywhere with them? Probably not. And of course, these episodes are going to be about me sharing my best debate tricks. How to own people with facts and logic. (laughs) I promise it's not going to be that. But, hypothetically, if you were (laughs) to do that, I would encourage asking questions rather than, you know... uh, just telling people what to think and believe, right? Ask people questions like, how come you think that? What kind of evidence do you have to support that claim, right? Oh, interesting. But, you know, don't be too dismissive. And I'm not saying this to protect the other person's feelings. I'm saying it to protect your own feelings because it will keep the temperature of the debate down and prevent it from getting triggering for you, okay? I'm not concerned about the other person's comfort here. I'm concerned about you. And I don't want someone else to go on a, diet culturally rampage around you. Okay, enough about debates, because hopefully you'll be able to protect your peace and not end up in these debates in the first place. And if you do, if you feel you're at a point where actually staying and having that conversation can actually be very beneficial, can also help, you know, challenge people's views. Great, do it. But you are also allowed to disengage, okay? You are allowed to disengage. That doesn't make you a bad activist or whatsoever, just because you don't want to sit there and talk with your fat phobic uncle about keto diet doesn't make you a bad person, okay? You're allowed to focus on self-preservation. And now back to diet culture and diet talk. So I want to talk a bit about, and I kind of touched upon this earlier, how diet culture has become just a socially acceptable form of small talk. And because it has become a socially acceptable form of small talk a lot of people especially with eating disorders tend to put a lot of value on it right because they're like oh yeah but everyone talks about losing weight that means that it must be something very important so i want to remind you that small talk doesn't necessarily mean importance think about another topic that people small talk about all the time like the weather People talk about the weather so much that you would think it was the only thing that mattered in the whole entire world. But the reason why they talk about it is because it's a very socially acceptable topic that everyone can kind of relate to and everyone can kind of engage in. And the same with diet culture. Unfortunately, because a lot of people are invested in diet culture, it becomes this very socially acceptable small talk topic. You know, it becomes almost like this bonding thing especially in groups of women. Of course, all genders, but if you see a group of women, it can become even stronger. Just because this has almost been socialized to be the glue that holds women together, right? Hating your body. What are you gonna bond about if you don't hate your body and you're not shaming yourself? And you know, what what are you gonna bond about, right? Honestly, bonding about talking each other down to each other, it's just so sad. Right? it's so sad that that's become a way of bonding and I personally refuse to engage with it I step out I'm not going to sit there and shame myself for having laugh, and just because other people around me are doing it absolutely not in those conversations right now because of the space I'm in, in recovery if I have a conversation where a lot of people are like shaming themselves for eating I tend to say oh I actually think it was quite enjoyable you know <laughs> like I, will, I just won't engage and I will, often it will catch people a little bit off guard but sometimes it seems almost like there is a bit of a relief, like, oh, thank god, (laughs) you know. You don't have to engage in every social script that is around you, you know, you are also allowed to investigate, does this specific social script help me or harm me? Just because diet culture is the typical small talk topic doesn't mean that you need to engage in it. I engage in weather talk because it doesn't really harm me, but I'm also very much aware that not everyone is dreaming about becoming a meteorologist. Because I think for a lot of people with eating disorders, because there is so much diet small talk, they think, oh well, that means that everyone would want an eating disorder. And sometimes the jokes even get so bad that it can kind of imply that someone do want an eating disorder. You know, like some people say, oh, I wish I was a little bit anorexic too. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh my God, I don't even know where to begin with that comment, huh? But I want to remind you that despite all of this diet culture talk implying otherwise, having an eating disorder is not a desirable thing. The vast majority of people would not want an eating disorder if they knew what it was about. If they knew the pain, how it robs you from joy, for health, they wouldn't want it. They wouldn't want to trade their relationship with food and body with yours if you're someone with an eating disorder. They might think they would because, oh, willpower, but that's because they don't understand the topic. In other words, most people, if they fully know what an eating disorder is about, don't want it. In the same way that, I mean, I really like when the weather is nice outside, but I don't stop living if it's not nice weather outside. Just because I small talk a lot about the weather doesn't mean that that's the most important thing in life for me, nor does it mean that I want to pursue a career uh, being a weather forecaster. But if you were someone obsessed with the weather, you might think, oh, everyone is so interested in this. Everyone wants my job, you know? I know that was a very silly example, but I hope it at least (laughs) made a little bit of sense. And if not, just ignore it. (laughs) The reason why I put so much emphasis in this episode about, you know, labeling diet culture talk more as small talk in a socially acceptable way to self-deprecate and connect is because it kind of teaches you to see the talk for what it is, which is... Meaningless. And when you know it's meaningless, it gets easier for you to just whoop, tune out. Think of it as an annoying mosquito summing in the background. You know, you don't need to engage with it, it's just there. But also, you are allowed to leave. And also, I would encourage you if you feel comfortable with it, or even if you feel just a little bit discomfort with it, it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do uncomfortable things, right? Set boundaries. And I know boundaries is such a buzzword that everyone just throws out. But it's so important. And a key thing about boundaries, and this is something I feel a lot of people forget, a boundary is not necessarily just about saying, this is my boundary. It's setting the boundary, right? The most important part of a boundary is to enforce it. So if you set a boundary that if there will be talk about dieting around the dinner table, you you will leave, right? And if you don't leave the dinner table, you're not enforcing the boundary. The boundary then which is just a word, right? Boundary is not necessarily about what other people are doing. It's more about what you will put up with, how you will respond to their behavior. Once you see boundaries as depending on you, not other people, it becomes a lot easier to, to apply it. Because people be like, oh, I'm setting all of these boundaries, but nobody's respecting them. But it's not about other people. It's about what you do when a boundary is broken. Do you enforce it? And having that conversation with your family can be very, very helpful. Just letting them know that, hey, this harms me, this is what I'll up, put up with. And if not, I will have to, you know, lead the dinner table for my own self-preservation. I also want to remind you to be extra careful with social media and media in general during this time. Because there will be more, you know, posts or articles about weight loss, dieting, etc, etc. Basically content that reinforces eating disorder behaviors. And I want to remind you that other people, they might be able to go on that 10-day juice fast and be fine. And when I say fine, I mean not spiraling into an eating disorder. I don't necessarily think it's something that would be helpful for them. I mean, we know that when you go on a crash diet, you might lose some weight, but you gain it all back and more afterwards, and you tend to get some extent of reactive hunger. Even people without eating disorder tend to have a period where they will just go crazy on the foods that they ban themselves from. We know that dieting has like a 95% failure rate. We know that already, you know. But I want to remind you that someone else might be able to go on a diet and not lose control over their entire life and slip right into the claws of an eating disorder. But just because other people can do that New Year's juice cleanse whatsoever doesn't mean you can... And framing an eating disorder as an allergy towards dieting can actually be very helpful in this context. Because basically, you respond very differently to a period of undernourishment compared to someone without an eating disorder. You are addicted to dieting, so you should stay away from dieting. I haven't really seen a case of someone with an eating disorder who just did a little juice cleanse and they just, <laughs> no no biggie, right? Pretty much always it is, oh yeah, a lot of thoughts came back. Even things like, oh, you know, healthier lifestyle can very quickly end up becoming very triggering you start cutting out a food and then oh well let me cut out another one and then you start eating less then you start moving more and you you know and then you're back so i would strongly encourage you if you are someone with an eating disorder don't make new year's resolutions related to cutting out certain foods or losing weight or going more to the gym because chances are these new year's resolutions won't help you It's because you have a genetic predisposition to an eating disorder. So you know that that can get activated by engaging in certain behaviors. And this, of course, doesn't mean that you can never go to the gym or, you know, that you can never eat a salad again. That's not what I'm saying. Of course, there's nuance here. But I'm saying going on some kind of diet when just because everyone everyone else is doesn't mean that you should go on that diet as well. So always repeat to yourself when these conversations are going on, it doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to me. In the same way, if you have nut allergy and you see a news article about the health benefits of nuts, yeah, it might have health benefits, but not for you. You're going to have an allergic reaction. Same goes with dieting. Health is relative. I personally believe that dieting is not healthy for anyone, and I kind of got the science as well to back it up. But even if it were, it wouldn't be for you. And I think things like lifestyle changes, new year, new me, all of these things can so quickly be used for euphemisms for dye culture. So keep yourself accountable here. Don't fall into the trap of doing something just because everyone else is doing it and then assume, oh, everyone else is doing it, so it should be fine for me. Because does everyone else have an eating disorder? And also if they do, if someone else around you has a full blown eating disorder and are engaging in those behaviors, does that mean you should? I mean, they're miserable, should you be miserable? Think of it, for instance, someone who is an alcoholic and they say, yeah, but my friends are also you know, drinking. Yeah, I mean, if your friends are alcoholics as well, I mean, doesn't make you less of an alcoholic. Doesn't make your liver like, okay, well, it's fine. You know, the friends, you know, your body and brain don't really care if someone else is also destroying themselves. Doesn't make it okay for you to destroy yourself. And if there is someone in your life that is clearly having an eating disorder, but they're in complete denial, again, doesn't mean you should be, because I see this a lot. Oh, but this and that person is always, you know, clean eating, this and that, you know, goes to the gym four hours a day. You know, it it doesn't affect you. It does not affect you. Eyes on your own plate, okay? Eyes on your own plate. If you are lucky and you have some family members that make Christmas very pleasant, right? Maybe you have some family members that are friends or whoever you celebrate with, who have a very relaxed relationship to food, that they're not engaging in this annoying small talk, and they are eating freely and not shaming themselves for it, then that can be wonderful. It can be wonderful to see that as almost like a role model around you, right? If you got that, soak it up, right? But also don't make yourself dependent on it. Because if you make yourself too dependent on it, that's quite Agile. so imagine if you have that aunt that is never dieting and always very you know body positive and you know always very relaxed around food but that aunt suddenly decides that this christmas she's going to do the keto diet you know is your entire recovery just going to fall apart if you depended too much on her right so don't depend too much on other people take inspiration if you can find it that's nice that's fine but also remember that you are have to keep your eyes on your own plate and in your own recovery. You know, sometimes I think that even though my eating disorder was absolutely miserable and I'm so glad I'm over it, it did give me the a benefit. And that benefit is that I now know that I will never engage with diet culture again, right? Because I see so many people without eating disorders who are engaging with diet culture. And I just know that it's not for me. What a relief, right? And I'm thinking if I never had an eating disorder, would I be one of those people who would go on a bit of a crash diet and all of these things? Would I be someone who were engaging with diet culture maybe for the rest of my life? I mean, chances are I would. A lot of people go on diets. So try and think of it this way. The eating disorder was the kind of like taking the red pill, right? A very hard pill to swallow. (laughs) Pun intended. (laughs) But also, you've learned your lesson now, okay? You've learned the lesson that diet culture sucks. You don't need to repeat the eating disorder for years and years and years. Of course, I know that's a very simplified way of speaking. But don't feel like, oh yeah, my eating disorder taught me something, so I'll keep it for the rest of my life. No. Learn to identify when you have learned your lesson and when it's time to let go and move forward. If you've been thinking about doing like a social media break, this might be a very good time to do so, especially when it's more towards early January, where there's a lot of dieting talk. I mean, depending on what kind of people you follow on social media, and this could also be a good time to actually do a little New Year's cleanse of your social media, right? Look at the people you follow and ask yourself, does this person actually help my recovery? Not saying that everyone you follow should be recovery oriented, right? You might follow a puppy account, has nothing to do with recovery, but that is in itself very helpful because it gives you distraction. But look at the people you follow and think, is this person helpful or harmful to my own well-being? And then you can unfollow, or if it's someone you feel weird about unfollowing, you could mute them, right? They won't know if you mute them. And also with social media, be aware that the more time you spend engaging with a specific type of content, the more you'll get of it. It's a little bit like Law of Attraction, Algorithm Edition. (laughs) So if you spend a long time looking at this video about dieting, even if you're doing it, being angry, like, oh my God, screw diet culture, look at this silly video, and sending it to your friends, look at this. Your algorithm still registers, you want more of it, right? So just disengage. Again, think of it as an annoying mosquito. Gone. And you can also click mute and that you want less of a specific type of content, at least on Instagram. Another thing that I would recommend is to have some form of distraction behavior. Uh, This could be good, for instance, if you have strong urges to engage in compulsory exercise in response to eating. Have some kind of activity that is not actually like a physical activity, so it's not exercise. Some kind of activity that can keep you occupied. For instance, in Christmas time, a lot of people do crafty things, right? They make Christmas decorations or they do Christmas baking or painting or, I don't know, could be anything really, sewing, drawing, whatsoever. Something that keeps your hands and brain busy, but not necessarily moving your body. Christmas can be a very good time for that because it is a time of activities. And try and change your perspective a little bit and think, well... This could actually be a good thing to break up my routine a little bit, try new foods and also have a wonderful experience with my loved ones, you know? I know Christmas is not easy for everyone. I know not everyone has great relationship with their families, but even if you're, you know, eating with your friend or your cat or your grandmother on FaceTime, you know, whatever you're doing, think of it as this food meeting together for a meal. It is a very important social ritual. And the foods you're eating as well, you know that it is is—it is not just about being fuel, about being nutrients. It is culture, it's tradition, and that's wonderful. And truth is, despite all the self-deprecating diety talk that people might engage in, truth is that most people quite enjoy Christmas and enjoy the Christmas food. It's a nice thing. I know that's not the case for everyone, but for a lot of people it is, right? We're trying to see things positively here, okay? <laughs> But let's get a negative for a second. <laughs> okay, just kidding. But let's get realistic for a second. I know some of you might deal with family members that are just incredibly emotionally mature and having conversations such as, hey, could we maybe not talk about weight loss at the dinner table could send them off in a frenzy or just not be well received. So I want to recommend a book. And this book is called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. How to Heal from Distant, Rejecting, or Self-Involved Parents by Lindsay C. Gibson. This book is especially good if you have parents that are very, you know, emotionally volatile or distant, very rejecting, self-absorbed, unable to communicate, is not meeting your needs, not giving you what you want, not showing up how you wish a parent would. This book is great. And it talks about something wonderful and that is by kind of letting go of the hopes that your family or family member or whoever you're reading the book about is gonna act the way you want them to and give you what you consciously or subconsciously want from them. And instead kind of going into observer mode where you're just observing them and not reacting. It explains it way better in the book but this can be very helpful if you have some family members at Christmas that you are not so excited about being around especially parents in this case of the book so yeah just as a coach I can really quite recommend that book uh it might not be as helpful if you are a minor because I do I know I know that I have some people listening to my podcast who are you know under 18 uh you might find some insight in it but the book is called adult children of emotionally immature parents right because that is a very specific dynamic but yeah I also want to remind you that if you are someone who feels like Christmas has just been ruined by difficult family dynamics, eating disorders, whatsoever, there is hope for the future. Maybe you have a difficult family dynamic, but there might be a day where you have your own family. Or you might even find that you want to celebrate Christmas with your chosen family, with your friends. So it's never too late to reclaim Christmas or whatever holiday it is that you have a difficult relationship with. But also, if it's just kind of ruined for you and you just don't like it because of the bad memories, that's okay as well. Because I think there is a lot of pressure on loving Christmas and that's just not the case for everyone. And that's okay. You don't have to love Christmas. For some people, it's more about getting through it. And that's okay. Maybe one day you'll come to a point where you love it. Maybe you never will. But that's okay as well. It's okay. So let go of the pressure of this having to be this happy season sometimes it's just a season right but i think one of my favorite approaches to when you're going through a difficult time is to think what are some very small steps i can make to make myself a little bit more comfortable or make things a little bit more pleasurable right now And this can be the smallest things, right? It can literally be something as, oh, putting on a comfy pajamas, making myself my favorite food, listening to some music, having a shower, brushing my teeth, making some tea, having some chocolate, right? You see where I'm going? Just very small things that doesn't take too much effort that you can do to make your situation right now more pleasurable this can be very effective when you are not doing well in general or if there's a specific situation you kind of need to go through because if you add up a lot of these small things it kind of becomes a big thing will it take away all your problems no but it will make you feel more comfortable whilst you have the problems and now let's get into a listener question and this will be a paraphrase because I basically do these Instagram stories where I open up the ask box for podcast questions, but now I can't find that story in my archive. But I remember this question because I thought it was a very sad question, uh, very important question, but it's sad uh, because it's something I see quite a lot. And the question went something like, what do you do when you've been sick for Quite a period of time and other people just kind of seem to have accepted it. Kind of just, you know, given up on you and just accepted that you were sick, you know. And this is a question that I think almost would disturb its own episodes, but I'll try and answer it quickly now because I have so many scheduled episode topics ready and I think I wanted to answer it right now. Especially because some people might go home to family members who does this for Christmas, right? Family members who don't even expect them to challenge themselves at christmas family members who buy your safe foods for christmas to make you comfortable with you actually had an idea in your head to try and challenge yourself right this i hear quite a lot and i think very often people think people who don't have eating disorder think that this is helpful right because you know you are you don't want to make the person with an eating disorder uncomfortable by offering them food or by pushing their recovery you just want to keep the peace. But the way the eating disorder interprets this is, okay, I now have the green light to stay. So whilst in the earlier phases of your eating disorder, you might have experienced that there will be pushback from other people, right? They will try to encourage you to recover. They try to challenge you, blah, blah, blah. And that can be frustrating, but it can also be helpful in some ways. But chances are when people did try to do that, you probably responded not so well. You probably responded by, you know, Not wanting to do it. And then this is just human behavior. Eventually what's happening is that people give up. People stop trying. Because they try to encourage you to have that dessert. Or do that, skip that workout for so long. And you just never do it. So then they just start accepting it. And I think we need to kind of give people a little bit of a break. You know, people who support someone with eating disorder. Give them a little bit of a break. Because if they weren't doing this, if they just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and just kept trying, then that might burn them out quite significantly. I'm not saying it's great that they kind of just give up, but I'm saying it's very understandable. And it's not necessarily with bad intentions. It could be an act of self-preservation for themselves. Kind of in the same way that the book I mentioned, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, uh, that's the same thing where it basically kind of encourages you to stop trying to change someone. And I think this is the approach that a lot of people take. They just stop trying to change you, stop trying to fix you, heal you. But of course, this can kind just of feels like, okay, well, they have accepted my eating disorder. This is who I am, so I can't recover now. But I want to remind you that you are recovering for you. And just because someone seemed to have given up on you doesn't mean that you need to give up on yourself. Because let's face it, If you were to stay sick and not pursue recovery because other people around you have accepted it, then you are the one who's going to suffer the consequences. Not them. You are the one who will have to spend the rest of your life sick and stuck. You will have the consequences. Not your parents, not your friends, not your doctors, because yes... This um, acceptance or even labeling someone chronic, that also sometimes comes from healthcare professionals as well, which can be extra triggering. And we see this in other situations as well. For instance, uh, when someone is a drug user, uh, then there are certain programs where they offer clean needles because it's like, yeah, we know that you're going to do drugs anyway, so we'd rather you use clean needles when you're doing that. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't recover from their drug addiction. Absolutely not. Of course they should recover from the drug addiction. It just means that people are kind of making it a bit safer and comfortable to engage in that self-destruction. And I know this is controversial. I know there are a lot of different opinions on that, whether that's the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it. Of course, it's not the same as with an eating disorder, but there are similarities. Just like giving clean needles to a drug user doesn't mean that you say, yeah, drug use, amazing, keep going, in the same way that is not what it means, the same goes with eating disorders. So someone simply just accepting your eating disorder or maybe, you know, buying in a ton of apples when you're coming or whatever your seafood is, buying in the protein bars when you actually wanted to challenge yourself because you haven't verbalized it, it's it's kind of, it's very human. What I would encourage you to do is to express to the people around you that you are actually on the pursuit of recovery. Don't expect them to be mind readers. Tell them that, hey, I actually am trying to challenge my fear fruits a little bit. So for example, if you're going home to family and every year you have been, your your Christmas dinner has been some dry vegetables, then maybe you can express to them now that, hey, I actually want to challenge myself and have some, you know, some of that other stuff, have some of that... Christmas food, whatever Christmas food you're eating. Imagine if you're terrified of dogs and you're going to visit a friend that has a dog, right? The friend might take the dog out in the garden whilst you're visiting. That doesn't mean the friend is saying, oh, you should never work on your dog phobia. It just means that they're trying to make it a little bit more pleasurable for you. It doesn't mean that they have accepted or think dog phobia is like the best thing ever. And equally, your friend is not a mind reader. So in this situation, you could have said, hi, actually, I'm kind of working on my dog phobia. I would be fine with you having the dog inside this time and I'm sure your friend would be like yeah that is great so once again communication communication is key you have to communicate to the people around you that this is something you are actively working on and communicate to them how they can best support you don't just say oh I'm in recovery and assume that they know exactly what to say and do because they don't tell them practical ways that they can best support you If it's a healthcare professional who's just kind of like, yeah, you're just a chronic case, I've accepted you. You can maybe push for a different type of treatment. Push for, hey, I actually want to try another round of, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. Or I want to try another dietitian and work on, you know, refeeding, weight restoration. You know, you can actually push it. And I know taking that initiative can be difficult, but what is the alternative? What is the alternative? You can't rely on other people forcing you. And I also think a recovery that is done on your own initiative for you by you is so powerful compared to a recovery that you were just kind of forced into. So think of practical steps that the people around you, whether that is a doctor or whether that is a parent or a friend, can do to support you best and how they can best show up. And then you have to tell them. Don't assume mind reading. So many conflicts, especially in recovery, could have been avoided if people communicated clearly. And if someone, even with this communication and messaging, is still just very passive and just don't seem to believe you when you say they're gonna recover, then, I mean, prove them wrong. But you gotta prove them wrong with action. Then they come along. You can't prove them wrong with words. They need to see action. It's great if people just immediately believe you, if you're going to say you're, you will recover, but it is also understandable if people might not suddenly believe it. And it's not necessarily that they're trying to be unsupportive, sometimes it's just that they're trying to protect themselves by not getting their hopes up. If you've been around someone with an addiction for alcohol or drugs, you've probably experienced the same thing, you know, someone saying that they'll get sober, get clean, And then it just never happens. You eventually just start distancing yourself from it. You don't want to get your hopes up to protect yourself. You don't, you know, it's not about being unsupportive. And if you actually saw that they took action and stayed consistent with their recovery, then you would be the biggest supporter. But the truth is, this very often don't happen. And sometimes people lose their patience and hopes and faith. And that can be very discouraging. But try and maybe think, is there a way to use this? as a motivation instead of discouragement. For me personally, when I went through my own recovery, people not believing that I could recover was actually a massive recovery motivation for me. I was just like, screw this. I don't wanna be known as you know, the chronically anorexic girl. That was just not an identity I was looking to inhabit. I hope that was helpful and it might be a topic that I will talk more about in the future. And for now, I'm wishing you all a very lovely holiday. And if you're not having a lovely holiday, just have a holiday. (laughs) Have a manageable holiday. That's okay as well. And I will see you guys next week.